0: is a podcast focused on hearing about the business truths, tools, and tips others can't do without. After interviewing hundreds of people for their LinkedIn profiles and talking with thousands of people looking to use professional platforms more strategically, I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know people that lead, create, and engage within their companies and in their communities with great intention, abundance, focus, and sheer grit. I want to share their stories so that you can gain insight from a variety of people, not just the podcast and tech rock stars that have become household names. Rather, let's focus on the people whose stories influence those around them, and maybe even you. Everyone has indispensable truths, tools, and tips, even if they haven't realized it yet. And while this podcast isn't about LinkedIn and how to use it, it may weave its way in from time to time. It is, after all, our favorite platform for networking and doing business. Come, join us, and get to know some of my colleagues, clients, friends, and neighbors. I'm so excited today to bring you Claudia Williams. Claudia is the Chief Friendship Officer. That is a little bit of a mouthful, isn't it, Claudia? It is. It is. But I love it. Vistage chair. She's a leadership mentor, speaker, culture builder, HR consultant, and author. And I just want to say when I met um, Claudia, um, I met her at a Vistage group in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, last June, so June of 2018. And I had looked at her profile the night before the Vistage meeting. Watched her TED talk because her background image is her on the TEDx stage and spent 18 minutes with her. Met her the next morning and was really taken back by how absolutely authentic she was. The person that I watched on stage and the person that I met the next morning was absolutely the same person as engaging, as kind, as gracious, as outgoing, as She um, is the vibe that she created on the TEDx stage. So I'm excited to have her on. We're going to have a great conversation today. Welcome, Claudia.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for that wonderful intro.
0: Well, it's so fun. I always share your profile. I think I've mentioned that to you. I sometimes think, oh, she probably thinks, even though I never use the word stalking when it relates to (laughs) LinkedIn, um, I use the word research, I often think, oh, she probably is wondering why I'm looking at her profile again but it's just because it's such a great profile. And Thank you. And what struck me is how really beautifully and eloquently you created your LinkedIn profile, which really is your personal brand. So will you share with us how you really started to build your personal brand when it started? I have a feeling it was really before LinkedIn kind of became popular. So share that with us.
1: Yeah, sure. It And it did. It, it started, I think, before LinkedIn may have even existed 20 years ago. So I began my career as an attorney. And I had the benefit of marrying a man who's nine years older than I am. And he was a practicing attorney for 10 years before I graduated from law school. And I had the ability to, to watch him and learn from what he was doing, and I learned pretty quickly that as an attorney in private practice, I'd be only as valuable as the value of my book of business and what I could bring to the table. And so I knew that even though I was part of an organization and I had colleagues, I really had to focus on building relationships, and I jumped out of the gate after law school focusing on where to go to build those relationships. So for me, it started with every networking event and every possible function I could attend so that I could meet people face-to-face and learn about them. And then it was setting up meetings with them. and Or could we grab coffee? Can we have a chat on the telephone? Can I learn more about you? And I, I always approached it from the standpoint of I'm very curious about you and I'd really like to learn about you. And then... In comes social media and every form of social media. And um, and it's funny, and you know, lawyers were a special breed too in a lot of ways. And especially with LinkedIn, when I first got involved with LinkedIn, it was very lawyerly and very lawyer sounding. And and then you know, the a a switch flipped for me and I and I realized pretty quickly that people just want to talk to other People, other human beings, and they're not looking for jargon or legalese or any of those things. And so I realized I just needed to be more me and show up as who I am in every aspect of my life, whether that's in in an email or on a telephone call or in person or on social media. And so that's when I kind of had this epiphany of I'm just going I'm just going to make everything seem like I'm having a conversation with someone. So that when they do talk with me, it will feel the same. And and that's how I started to approach it. And has so that
0: started when you were an attorney and then you moved out of private practice, right? So tell us a little bit about that journey.
1: Yeah, so I just became an equity partner in private practice. And then the Hershey Company called me, the general counsel called and and said, we would really love for you to come join us in-house. And I'm in central Pennsylvania. There aren't that many $8 billion global CPG companies around. <laughs> right. And and I'm a hungry learner. So I knew there was more for me to learn and, and that would be a great place to do it. So I joined the Hershey Company and I served as Associate General Counsel for Global HR and Litigation there. And it was a phenomenal experience. And it brought me opportunities to travel the world. I found myself sitting across the table from Governors of provinces in China negotiating labor issues. I found myself in Mumbai and Singapore, in Canada, Mexico. I was just in Dubai. It was amazing. It was also really hard because my world was completely crisis-driven, and so I often was traveling on fairly short notice. And I had two little kids at the time, and. And so I knew it was going to be a short-lived experience for me, so I tried to soak up as much as I could and learn as much as I could. Unfortunately, I was really embedded in the HR organization, and had, it felt like I got a certificate or a master's degree in HR. I bet. So I made the leap and left the practice of law altogether and started my own consulting business. So law was all about labor and employment law and litigation, And I just, I took the legal piece of it and put it aside. And I focus on human resources and culture and leadership now. And and so it's, instead of being the cleaner, I get to go in on the front end and try to help prevent a lot of the issues I saw as an attorney. And it's super fulfilling. That's
0: really great. And it's also interesting that being on the front part of that, right, where it's not as crisis driven and you can help alleviate that crisis by creating great culture what is it that you see that stops great culture from already being there, right?
1: Yeah, you know, there are a couple of things that I see over and over again. One is that the company itself hasn't really defined its identity. It just doesn't have a good handle on who the company is or who the company wants to be. And when the company doesn't have a handle on that, it, you see, well, this, kind, this department over here is going to be this, and that department's going to be that, and there's no unification. There's nothing tying anyone to a single unified mission or vision. And so that's the first obstacle. The other obstacle that I see sometimes is companies who have really well-defined words, and they're on beautiful posters all over the organization, and they have great values. But they've never really defined the behaviors that they want people to exhibit that reflect their values, and, and we need to be told what people need and want from us. And if the company can't tell us what they need, want, and expect from us, we'll just kind of do our thing. And so um, it's about—it's really about being clear about what those behaviors and values are, and then holding people accountable to them. And and by that I mean. Making sure that when we reward people, it's not just for how much money they made the company, but it's for how they went about making the company money. And when we start to shift those things around, that's when culture really begins to take shape.
0: Well, and do you often hear people say, well, it was probably much easier to um, do that kind of work in a large company, like a company like Hershey, not a And it's not as easy to do it in a small company. You had so many more resources, right? Even though that's not particularly the work you did in Hershey. Hershey is known for a brand, right? And I'm sure whatever the culture is, good or bad, right? Positive or not. Yep. There is a culture.
1: Absolutely. And the great thing about culture is that, and I, and I, try to get this point across. Yes, you can have all the money in the world and you can throw all kinds of resources and you can buy ping pong tables and you can buy big screen TVs to put in break rooms. you You can have money to buy a lot of things. But at the end of the day, the culture is all about the people and the relationships and the things that we do to build relationships with each other don't cost anything or they cost almost nothing. The cost of a cup of coffee to spend 15 minutes sitting having a cup of coffee with someone to just talk and learn a little bit about them. These little moments of, of interpersonal connection that we have along the way, that's what builds and defines and shapes a culture, not money. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of refreshing
0: when people hear that, right? Like a CEO can get behind that, like, okay, I'm not going to have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and so how do you start? Right. Because once again, there's still this chasm perhaps, right? Like the CEO or the business owners, like, Hmm, I thought I was doing that.
1: Yeah. and uh, so one of the, <laughs> <Right>? I, say, <laughs> I say hello when I walk by their cube. <laughs> <I guess. queue. laughs> sure. Um, well, you know, everyone's, I'm, I've never met a person who said, I really wish I could spend some more time in meetings because I just don't have enough meeting time at work. And so one of the things, one of the low-hanging fruit pieces for me is, well, tell me about how you're spending time in your meetings. Because as a group, if you could take five minutes of every meeting you're having and interject something personal into those five minutes, you'll change the dynamic of how that group works together You'll change the dynamic of the meeting. And maybe it's five minutes today, but over the course of a year and over the course of two years and five years, that's a lot of time. And that's a, a huge ability for people to shape relationships because they'll take those five minutes, they'll cascade those five minutes in their meetings with others. And that's how it just, these things can happen organically if we just give people permission to do it. It's not that they don't want to, they honestly are so laser focused on business, which I get that they just kind of have forgotten along the way, the little things they need to do to work on their relationships.
0: And this is especially true when companies have distributed teams or remote teams, right? So right now we're on a zoom call. We have video going so I can, you know, I'm actually really looking right in Claudia's eyes. Right. And you know, we can have, we can create that connection. So technology brings us together in really great ways to completely build out that culture too.
1: It does and, I, and I'm often asked well you know we have a heavy remote working population and I say that's great and there are there are additional challenges that come with that but the the, the technology is easy and most of it's free and so you can FaceTime, you can Skype you can zoom whatever it is. The ability to be able to look at someone with remote workers, not only does it connect the corporate people to the remote people, but the remote workers feel so much more connected when they can see the people with whom they're working and five minutes on a, five minutes on a video conference can make a huge difference. Yeah. I'm really big because we
0: have on this, because we have clients all over the country I'm like, they just need to see your face. They just, we just need to see them because we can see some of that nonverbal happening. We just need to be, you know, focused on that for just a few minutes. It makes a huge, huge difference.
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, for me and and for my work, I coach people with Zoom from anywhere in the country. Um, For that very reason, it gives me the ability to read their body language, see how they're showing up, you know, all, all of those things that help us process and, and make past judgments about about people. So, yeah, the, the technology is easy to leverage, and I'm surprised by how many people aren't leveraging it.
0: I agree. I totally agree. Some people will say to me, I've actually never even heard of Zoom. I'm like, yep. have you heard of GoToMeeting, WebEx? Yes. Same thing, right? Just a little bit more easier to log into. So everybody's exactly. right. Everybody finds their favorite and kind of rolls with it. But just find I'm always like, just find a favorite. Just find a favorite and you'll be good.
1: Talk with us about and um, about frontership, because I love that. Well thank you. So frontership came about I I have what I call my chocolate posse. They are my <laughs> my core friends from when I worked at the Hershey Company, my core colleagues. And and they still we still have a group chat to this day, and none of us have worked there in in at least two, three, four years. Um, we were talking one day, and one of the members of my posse was talking about how we're friends and we're mentors to each other, and, and she said the word friend to her, and I said, Hey, that's a that's a powerful word, and I think there's a lot that can be done with that word, and, and I said, and I'm thinking about friends and mentors and leaders and, and friendship. And she said, she said, Claudia, you need to run with that. And so I did. Um, and I created these three core foundational pillars, friendship, mentorship, and leadership. And I walk people through the, the key elements of each of those pillars. So for friendship, for example, it's about trust, respect, and loyalty and it's about breaking down the stereotype that we have in our mind of what friendship is which is usually all the people i want to spend time with when i'm not at work <laughs> and getting people to think about how this is this is a core relationship and that foundation is what we need in all of our workplace relationships so that we can be collaborative rather than competitive so that we can drive innovation together so that we can share information instead of treating information like currency and something to be bartered or used as leverage. And so when we when we have that trust, respect, and loyalty, we'll fall on the sword for each other. And we will build each other up instead of, you know, feeling like you're walking out of a room with eight knives in your back and how critical that is. And, and so I walk folks through really simple things we can do to build those workplace friendships. And so similarly, I talk about core elements of mentorship and, how it's really important for us to take charge of our career path and our career destiny and what we want to do and then to go and find the people who can help us achieve that. And we we need to kind of stop sitting back and waiting for people to do things for us. And leadership, which is very important to me, Um, I go through some key elements, key characteristics that every successful leader has to have and how to develop those characteristics. And at the end of the day, it's all about our legacy. What do we want? Well, the idea of legacy came to me after reading my father's obituary for about the thousandth mm. time. And um, you know, from you learned from the talk, he wrote his own obituary. And he didn't write anything about what he personally achieved over the course of his life. He was, even in the days and hours leading up to his death, he was focused on the future. And, and that for him, the future was his four children Mm -hmm. and what he did to tee them up for success. And that to me struck me as kind of the ultimate definition of leadership. And what are we doing to tee up, the people who will follow in our footsteps for their success. And so that kind of became my mission to work with folks to make sure that they were focused on the right kind of legacy and all of the things we need to do to help them make sure that comes to fruition.
0: Um, like, wow, that is really, I, lo- I love that so much. Um, and I really can, Think about that is a hugely humbling exercise, right? Imagine writing your own obituary. I mean, just as a leadership exercise. Yeah.
1: Yes. And so when I first started doing apprenticeship programs, I, I did take the obituary approach, but then I kind of felt like it was a little morbid for, <laughs> for some folks. So I flip it around and I say, write the press release. Yes. Yeah. Announcing your retirement. What do you want? your press release to say about you and how do you want people to remember you? And sometimes folks will focus on revenue growth Mm -hmm. and that, you know, they kind of focus on all the what, Um, and I take them back to an exercise that we do earlier in the program. The things that people remember have nothing to do with the dollars and cents and everything to do with how we made them feel along the way. Mm -hmm. so yes I want them to have core business goals for achievement my job is to help them remember to bring the feeling into it and to think about what people are going to say about how we made them feel
0: and people do want to work for people they respect in that way right they they want to be around those kinds of people um and, and that role and that persona of that CEO has really changed over the
1: last few years, don't you think? It has. And it's interesting. There are all these studies out there about emotional intelligence. And, and that's really what it boils down mm-hmm. to, a lot of emotional intelligence. And it seems historically leaders have peaked with their highest level of EQ kind of at the mid leadership level, maybe around the director level, and then the higher up they go, senior director, VP, executive VP, CEO, their EQ drops. And it drops substantially. And so we we need to dial into that and bring, you know, it, we need to bring more of that back to the forefront. And leaders are more conscious of that now, and I can tell because this year in 2019 alone, the the top three programs uh, that companies have reached out to me to go in and do training for them communication, conflict, and emotional intelligence mm. they they are the top three by far this year. And so I'm encouraged by that because it means it's on the radar and they're trying to think about how to do it differently.
0: Is there any are there indications
1: why their EQ drops
0: as they go? further along in their career?
1: We suspect it's because the higher up in the organization they go, the more pressure there is to focus on business results. Mm -hmm. And so when you're focused on the P&L and, you know, top line, bottom line and, and the core business function, we tend to lose a little bit of sight of the people and mid-level leader, supervisors or mid-level leaders tend to have more people they're managing. And so they have to be conscious of managing all those people. And the higher up we go, the smaller number of direct reports we have, the less connected we become to the people two, three, four levels down in the organization. And so it, it becomes less of a focus for us. And now there are more leaders who want to make sure that they're not only interacting with their direct reports, but they do have a, you know, a finger on the pulse of how people are feeling. And so they are starting to look at it differently. Yeah.
0: I think that's really interesting. And I, you know, in some ways, the further up you go, especially in publicly held companies, you've got a lot of stakeholders, right. And shareholders and the level of diplomacy needed to manage all of those different constituencies is, should be requiring a high level of emotional and, intelligence, right? However, probably they're more insulated, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really so interesting to see. And that's why I think that there really are in the world today, very few like amazing leaders, right? That really stand out, but everybody has the potential, whether you want to take it in that direction or not, or you just get really focused on the numbers right? Everybody has a choice.
1: Yes. The great thing is that we're never too old or too experienced to sharpen and hone our emotional intelligence. And to and it's really that front brain mm-hmm. piece. Um, and that we can always grow additional gray matter in our front brain and, and increase our emotional intelligence. And so there's nothing that stops any of us from doing that except ourselves. Right. I just finished listening to Stroke of Insight. Have you- Oh, that was
0: fantastic. Right? Unbelievable. So "Stroke yes. of Insight was written by, I think her name is Jill Bolte-Taylor. I might have that backwards, but she's a brain scientist who had a stroke, also did a TEDx talk, which I watched the other night, Was which was just watch it. Just watch. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. But as she talked about experiencing the stroke, but then coming back from- The stroke, and she's like, How many brain scientists get to experience their brain from the inside out? Right? It was fascinating. Yes. But the ability, the plasticity of the brain and the regeneration, right? It was just an amazing story. And if you don't really read or listen to the whole thing, read or listen to the last four chapters because it was so inspiring, I thought, right? So, our brain is so powerful and now yeah. we have to keep pushing that brain along right like she how you have to be super intentional about the things you do and she talked about wine time i love that yeah right like i think in to build a great culture that really needs some turning around wine time could be a really great behavioral technique and wine time was she only would sort of complain or allow herself to be somewhat negative, I guess, right? Between mm-hmm. 9 yeah. nine a.m. and 9.30 in the morning, and then 9 to 9.30 in, in the evening. And if it didn't fit in those two slots, if it didn't pop in her brain in those two slots, it had to wait till the next day.
1: That's powerful. Yeah, it is. And and it's also getting, across, you know, we need to get across the idea that, yes, there are always going to be things that we're going to whine and complain about. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And getting, and for leaders, it's encouraging their team members to come to them with problems, concerns, issues, but then saying to them, you know, so what are some ways you think we can solve that? What ideas do you have? And so then it trains them to come in the future, not only with the problem, but also with some proposed solutions. And they don't have to be right. All we care about is that they're thinking about how to solve, because then, then they become problem solvers instead of just complainers.
0: And I think that's so important in today's world because there's a lot of divisiveness, right? And so to just be positive and think, okay, how can we just incrementally move this along? It's really, it begins to create a real flywheel effect. I think. Mm-hmm. Talk with us about um, your network. So worked for this global company all over the world. Here you are in central Pennsylvania. Um, if listeners are not familiar with central Pennsylvania. It is not the most densely populated area, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. there's, you know, it's very easy to drive 50 miles and not be in a lot of traffic, right? So it's a beautiful part of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And Claudia is now Working on building a Vistage Group, and for those who aren't familiar, Vistage is a an international CEO peer advisory organization. And so, share with us a little bit about scaling down, right, and hyper focusing, yeah. and building a network which you always had, but now you're tapping back into a local market. Mm-hmm. Talk with us about how you did that and why Vistage and what your hope for your Vistage Group is.
1: Sure. So, um, well, so I'll start with a year into my business. I decided to join the Vistage Group myself. And that was because I, I knew how to do my work and I knew I was good at it, but there were a lot of things that either I didn't know necessarily about running a business or didn't know how to optimize how to run the business or Just plain didn't know because I had blind spots and I really didn't have anyone around me to point them out to me. I have great, great friends and family who I think from their heart of hearts want to tell me what I want to hear versus what I need to hear sometimes. And so I, I was looking for those people who would tell me what I needed to hear. And I found that in Vistage and I enjoyed the experience so much. And I had a really wonderful chair, John Dame, and John encouraged me to become a Vistage chair really as a natural extension of the work I was already doing. I was already coaching and mentoring leaders. I'm already facilitating team meetings and, and processing core issues with my clients. And so it, it was just a great fit and it tied in directly with my purpose. And so I made the leap and um, it was, it, it's, not easy. (laughs) It's difficult. um, But I do feel like there are certain things I had in place that set me up for success ahead of time. And one of those things is my network. So practicing attorney, not only did I build a network of other attorneys, I had built a network of both public, private, and also nonprofit organization leaders through all of the work I did. And when I went to work at Hershey, I, I had another epiphany, and I realized that I saw people in the company, and it felt like a bubble. It felt like being in a bubble because I knew about all of this stuff outside of Hershey, and I knew about all of the organizations, and I was serving on a nonprofit board, and I had the community and and personal involvement well outside of Hershey. I did not see a lot of other people in the corporate environment who were as focused on that as I was. So when I decided to leave Hershey and start my business, I, I remember a Hershey executive said to me, well, how are you going to just stop working here one day and have a business the next day? <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, on the one hand, it's completely scary. Yes. But on the other hand, I'm not worried because I have a great network. and." I know people will refer business to me because they know me, they trust me, they know I'm good at what I do, and particularly attorneys. So I knew right off the bat I had maintained my professional network and I knew attorneys would refer business to me, especially because I'm no longer a practicing attorney and I'm no threat to take legal work from them. But because they knew me and they knew I was good at what I did, so I was I became a trusted resource for them with their clients, and that's exactly what happened. And so it started as um, attorney referrals, and then it morphed into a combo of attorney referrals and then client-to-client referrals. So it it had a very natural path. And so then going into Vistage, the minute I came out of the week-long chair academy, I was able to hit the ground running. And begin going directly to my network because I'd already built it. So I didn't have to spend weeks or months trying to build relationships with people. I had the relationships and the credibility and the presence that I could tap into it immediately. And that was remarkably helpful for me.
0: And people knew you were part of their community. Right. And, you know, not only from your LinkedIn profile or any other social platform that you're using, but that referral network, that word of mouth is still the most powerful thing.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and I, no matter, no matter where I was, I was, I'm always showing up the same way. So I could be at a chamber event. I could be at Uh, my kids school function I could be at a musical at a local community theater no matter where I was you know my clothing might look a little different depending on the environment but I was just I was always me and I was solid in my values I was solid in what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve and so that didn't matter where I was that was always the same
0: and and I love that because you know as you know this podcast is called indispensable business truths, tools and tips you can't do without so these are really your business truths right show up as you are be really confident in in who you are and live that out right because yep that authenticity and it's such an overused word except that's what people want And, you know, it's interesting, you do great videos on LinkedIn. Literally somebody could spend five minutes on your LinkedIn profile or your website and probably know more about you in five minutes than a whole slew of other people in six months, right? Because you just put it out there. You always come across as so approachable. And And I think that really resonates with people now because it builds such trust. And in the uh, yes. too, that's critical.
1: Yes. In fact, I had um, – uh, so I – you know, cold calling is not a strength for me. I'm, I'm really good at cold emailing. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem hiding behind the computer and sending cold emails. Uh, but I did reach out and send an email to someone I, I was interested in Meeting with about my vistage group, and I sent him a note and I said we haven't met. You know, however, well, I, I actually I had the ability to say whether you know it or not, um, your company hired me to come speak at your co- at your client conference in the fall, <laughs> so I had that mm-hmm. little connection. Um, and I, I said, here's what I'm doing. So now gave him the little background about the peer advisory group I was forming and and the quality and character of the group I was trying to build and. How, based on my research, I I think there's some potential there. And would he be willing to meet and talk about it? And he replied that, um, in fact, he felt very familiar with me because he follows my content on LinkedIn and he'd been reading my articles in the in the Central Penn Business Journal. And he appreciated my values and perspectives on leadership. And so, yes, he would like to meet with me. And that, and so I know for sure that if I didn't have all of that external presence, um, he probably would have sat back and said, I don't really know you. And I, you know who has time in the day to add meetings on with strangers? Um, and I know that there have a couple of other people who've signed on to be part of my group have given me the very direct feedback that they've done so because of who I am and they and and so they trust that I will bring that to the group, and that's what they're looking for. Yeah,
0: I, I think people want to be around people who bring out the best in them, right? Who are going to take them to the to the next level, whatever that level is, in whatever way. But they, you didn't have to do the selling, right? Like that was it. it wasn't even
1: about that. Yep. Right. And it's never been, and it's never, and that you raise a great point, coming because it, it because it has never been about yeah. the selling yeah. for me. Um, and I get it. I know that no matter what my profession has been along the way, sales is eighty percent of it, yeah. um, if not more. But I've never viewed myself as a salesperson, and I've never approached anything from the perspective of I have to sell. I. I my entire approach is I want to learn about you, I want to get to know you, and wanna figure out what makes you tick. And if there's anything I feel like I can do to help you in any way. And, and so it's just it's never
0: been about sales for yeah. me. And yet that's always what we need in order to yep. grow our business, however how we approach it. Um when we approach it with let me just learn about you, see if i can make a difference, see if i know something that can help facilitate your growth, your results. It's so much better. And that's nobody wants to be sold, right? <clears throat> people want to buy. Yep. They just don't want to be sold. And when you can approach it that way and you find the people who believe what you believe, just, you know, coin Simon Sinek, right? You know, yep. It's just a conversation then and come together.
1: Exactly. And, you know, and getting the relationship is the only thing that differentiates us from a, you know, one click buy it now Mm -hmm. situation. And relationships have always mattered to me more than whatever money I would make for my business um, relationships have always been a top priority for me. So I value them greatly. And, um, you know, you talked about my videos on LinkedIn and all of it. It's, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary to put yourself out there. You know, you yep. know that. Um, and so every once in a while, <laughs> my, my husband and I went to happy hour maybe a month ago. We walked in, just a local restaurant right up the street from our house and I walked over to go to the restroom. I was walking back to where my husband was sitting and a woman stopped me and she said, She said, Excuse me, are you Claudia Williams? And I started <laughs> laughing and said yes and she said, I follow your stuff on LinkedIn. You know, we have a I have a little group and we all bought your book and you know, we take your LinkedIn postings and we talk about them in our accountability group with each other. And we're just, we're so dialed into it. And I just wanted you to know that you're really making a big difference for us. Wow. And so I, I honestly, I, I welled up with tears, Mm -hmm. (laughs) welled up with tears, uh, walked over to my husband and said, well, I'm a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the famous person, you know, we, and we laughed about it, but But I really was so, uh, so grateful to get that feedback because you never know, you never know what kind of impact you're having. And so that's why I do it for that one person who might tell me on one random day that it's making a big difference for her or someone else six months down the road. So if I can impact one person, here and there, then that has the potential to impact hundreds and more. And so that's why I do it. I just love it. I know. I think that's so true. I'd rather
0: have one comment like that a month, a week than 10,000 views, right? Like yes. know, it's it's because we put all this out there and we do, we expose ourselves to a lot. Well, how many views do you get on that post Did you get a, And I'm like, well, whoa, Let's just pause for a second. All those views are really great. but are people actually reading it? Are they doing something as a result of the words or the video or the image that you put in the world, right? And yeah. that's where make a difference. And being a difference maker is why you do the work you do.
1: It is. And and that's why I really I've focused my social media efforts on LinkedIn as opposed to Facebook or Twitter. Um, And and yes, I'm, you know, I dabble all of them, but really, really focus on LinkedIn, because that's the community where I'm trying to have the biggest impact. Yeah. So
0: I think you have a great impact there. Are there any particular tech tools or tools that you use? And then we'll wrap up. But I always like to ask, you know, are there certain pieces of, or types of technology that you use that you just can't do without, especially creating some of the content that you're creating?
1: Oh, well, I have a Gorilla tripod for my phone, which I love. You can get it on Amazon. I can, it's like all bendy and you can hook it up to the steering wheel on your car or (laughs) wherever. Uh, So that's been super helpful. I am probably the, (laughs) I'm not very tech savvy. But I do appreciate certain apps like Mile IQ because I'm on the road so much, mm-hmm. and Mile IQ automatically tracks my mileage. And all I have to do is swipe right for business to log it, or swipe left to log it as personal. Mm-hmm. And I get my report, and I can just send that to my accountant. So that's super easy. Nice. I haven't heard of that one. Nice. Oh my gosh, I love it. And you know, before that, I was kind of hand logging all my mm-hmm. mileage. Ugh. So Mile IQ, great. And it's like 50 bucks a year. It's worth every penny love it um, yes so that's I um, <laughs> that might be the extent of my tech recommendation um, I but I I will say I make the most of every minute I have in the car and so because I travel a lot and I spend a lot of time in my car I have a great list of podcasts mm. I listen to audiobooks all the time and so I and because we're all we all work like crazy, right? We wear busy like a badge of honor and and it's almost a competition to see who's busier than the next person. So I use my car time as my own personal professional development time. And that's when I really try to dial in on TED Talks, whether it's the TED Business app or NPR TED Radio Hour. Um, That's where I go for that information and some other business-related Podcasts, and then I can, I have the ability to share the episodes, and I send them to people who I think, oh, you might want to listen to that. I just listened to this; It would be really good. So, I think
0: that's that's great. If, um, friends of mine, Elliot Wagenheim and Jody Hume, have a podcast called um, "So Here's My Story," and they just did a fabulous episode on busyness as a badge of honor. oh, oh my gosh! So great! It's so great. Definitely look it up. Their podcast. I'm going to add that to my library. But um, I just listened to it the other night while walking the dog, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so true, so true. I went and got my hair cut, and the woman, I pulled up my calendar. She was like, that's your calendar? I was like, yeah, yeah, that's my calendar. She's like, wow. I was like, whatever, right, because it's a relative statement, busy, right? Everybody's yeah. busy. We're all busy. Absolutely. So, Claudia, where can people find you?
1: You can find me at, at Human Biz dot com or frontership.com and it's f-r-i-e-n-t-o-r-ship.com and certainly you can find me on LinkedIn and I would love to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. Terrific.
0: It has been so great to have you on. I'm so excited we finally got to do this. We've scheduled this a couple of times just because of conflicts and so I'm so delighted that we were you know, able to get together today and thank you for sharing all of your insight and your business truths tools and tips with our audience.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Colleen, for your encouragement, support, for your help with my LinkedIn profile. And and it's just been it's always a pleasure to connect with you. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much.
0: And that's all for Indispensable. Thanks for joining us. We hope to catch you on our next episode. Grab our show notes. Review them, check out the links included, and head over to interoadvisory.com to learn more about the work that we do in our community and with our clients.